What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Spiritual Gangsters Podcast. This is a show for all the people who keep it 100% real, who've been through life able to turn their pain into purpose, for people who've struggled with faith, yet keep asking questions and seeking the truth. It's a show for us to share our thoughts, experiences, and stories, and know that we're not alone. For all the OGs who see through the world's BS, this is The Spiritual Gangsters. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to The Spiritual Gangsters Podcast. It's me, Teresa, and I am here today with my very good friend and co-host, The NY Patriot. Say what's up. What up, what up? What's going on? Thank you very much. Happy New Year, by the way. Oh yeah. Happy New Year to you and yeah. to our guest. Happy New Year. I know. Although it's probably not the first episode to drop in the New Year, but that it's the first true. time we're recording in the New Year. So that's point. that's what's up. Hope everybody had a great holiday out there. Yes. And yeah, I'm pumped today because I have a fellow Canadian on with us. Uh, his name is Ravi, and he is the author and poet of the book Red Pill Rhymes. So welcome, Ravi, to the show. Hey, y'all. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to hear about, you know, your work and how you came to write the book. Sure. Um, but I guess first, if you want to tell people like a little bit about yourself, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Ravi, and it's again so good to be here, uh, you guys. Uh, I'm in uh, Ontario, Canada, born and raised. Uh, my parents uh, came from India, so I'm an East Indian background. And um, yeah, I'm 43 years old. I'm an educator in Ontario. I've been teaching for, oh gosh, 15 years now. Uh, yeah, I teach uh, in a grade school. Uh, kind of taught all sorts of grades, not high school. But uh, yeah, here I am and uh, proud to be here. With fellow freedom fighters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, being from Ontario as well, I feel like, and New York too, like we had a rough go of it during uh, the last few years. So I feel like maybe the three of us understand better than most, like what's been going on. Because in some parts of the U.S. and other parts of the world, it wasn't that bad. No. Well, you, you know, and like another thing, and I, I, I don't try to harp on it too much, but I do like to just add, especially with New York. A lot of things that we saw in the last two years, we were already predisposed to for years already. Mm-hmm. Watching people walk around the streets with umbrellas and masks was not unusual already. So, like, I, I really do think when we got hit with that, to an extent, in New York wasn't too much in shock and went along with it because it was already a fashionable thing to do to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. So, like, I really it's think weird. in some areas that went over a lot well because of how the people were already kind of predisposed and programmed, I think. That's well, a whole other issue. <laughs> That's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. But and, and they were wearing masks back then for pollution or, you know, what, what or viruses prior or what, why were they? I, you know, I, not to, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. All right. I'm not blaming anybody's ethnic background or their where they came from. Like, unfortunately, people that came from a communist country, China, come yep. over here already with masks on. For what reason? Yep. I don't know. 
But when you have millions of them already walking around because they came here with a mask on, kids start wearing them because they think it's cool because their Asian friend in school's got a Pokemon one on their face. So everybody starts wearing them, and it just became normal. So when this whole thing came, it was like, oh, well, we've already been watching people do it. Now, what's the big deal? Like, I really feel like that had something to play with it. I hate hate to say it, but, I mean, there's tons. When I first moved out to Queens, I literally texted my wife. I said, what's up with the masks? I yeah, said, why I, am I watching people walk down the streets with masks? Is there something I don't know about? Because mm. that's how prevalent it was. And this is years ago. Yeah. So it's, it's just really weird. <laughs> really, really bad. And I, that's what that's what probably you're speaking to. I, I, I don't know about viruses previous to this one. But I know that in Asian countries like Korea, for instance, they do similar things. They yeah. do wear masks. This is something new to, to North America, Western culture, for sure. But yeah. I a lot of it had to do with pollution, and 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 I remember seeing people in masks prior to that, and I think it is a cultural, a cultural uh, phenomenon yeah. in those countries to to have those masks. And the the area that I'm in, we have a large uh, contingent of um, people from those countries, and so you will we we saw people wearing those masks prior to this, um, and I think it's just something they got into a habit of wearing and and i don't know if that played a part in terms of people's kind of normalizing that but uh, we certainly saw that so i know what you're speaking about yeah, yep. yeah definitely in parts of toronto we have you know cultural pockets where it's more normalized than others for sure and also i remember too like a few years prior to 2020 uh even on like social media like snapchat and stuff not that I had it, but yeah. I remember people saying like there was filters with like a masks. you know it looked like a cute like teddy but like it would turn you into like a teddy bear and to have like a mask on you or like like a Hello Kitty one or like Pokemon or whatever and even in music videos like looking back I remember seeing it because um, I teach Zumba so sometimes I watch like you know Latin music stuff. And uh, I remember seeing like Daddy Yankee music video, um, Nicky Jam, like they all had it, Bad Bunny, like on their album art and stuff. They started wearing like masks. Mm-hmm. It was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's like looking back, it's like, oh shit. It was yeah. like, you know, kind of normalizing it, introducing it to us softly in the Western world. Right. Right. It's a bit of a blur too. Like these years that have gone by, you start to, you don't, under, you don't even remember like, who was wearing what when it started and it's it's a bit of a blur and so when you speak of these uh, icons and and pop artists and such wearing those i can't even remember like i know what you're talking about but i don't remember what timeline that was yeah so it's 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 fast it's a blur like right now we're the first few days of 2023 and i'm like is it still feels like 2020 that's crazy yeah yeah. So anyways, back to you. Um, so when did you come out with the book, Ravi? Well, uh, it's it's about four years in the making, I think, uh, when I first started it. And it just came out three weeks ago. Ooh. Pretty pretty proud of it. It was a lot of work. I, I wanted to do it on my own. I didn't use an editor. Uh, I, I did publish, self-publish on Amazon, but uh, I, I, I wanted to do it as much as possible on my own. I did hire my sister as the artist uh which was kind of convenient that was a funny story in itself because i was piecing together the book and 
And I was like, oh, who's going to do my artwork? And my sister and I are at a coffee shop. She's doing her own work and she does graphic artists, artistry and, and stuff on the side. And we're sitting beside each other and I'm drinking coffee. Trying to like, oh, what am I going to do? And I look to her and she's doing her art. I'm like, wait a minute. Do you want to do my art? They're like, you do art. <laughs> yeah. So it's not really in her wheelhouse, the type of pictures that, that are in the book, but that was kind of great to work. Uh, with my sister on on the project and I did hire somebody for the cover but I designed the cover I just didn't know how to do it um, and so the rest of it's basically mine and and uh, yeah four years in the making and uh, I think sometimes these things are just meant to be and um, honestly if 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 I didn't have writing, during this crazy few years, I honestly don't know what would have happened to me personally, because it was a tough time for many. And a lot of them, a lot of people didn't make it out um, in the right way. And I'm not saying they died or anything. They just, I, I don't think they're fully recovered. And mm. whereas I, I really dove into this project, which was already half done at the time. And I just said, wow, this is perfect. I know now where this is going. And, um, well, we can delve into that more whenever. But, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I know what you mean. I think some people will never fully recover, like, mentally, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, the ones we see still wearing masks and walking around, like, <laughs> you know. I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people are fractured by fear. They're, you know, it's just... It did that definitely did a did a good one. I think the last few years, yeah, a lot of people unfortunately for sure fear, and I think a lot of people did lose like a lot of friends, and you know, social uh, structures got mixed up, like families and friendships, and things got very um, changed for a yeah. lot of people. Right, mm -hmm. introverts made out like bandits, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and thankfully, me, uh, you know, I got a book out of it. I suppose yeah. you could. Through that. Oh, that's funny. But it's interesting you say you started it four years ago. So what, yeah. what was going on four years ago that made you start to realize things? Or were you like kind of more like awake to things earlier than that? I think like most people, we had this inkling of a feeling. And that's why the title Red Pill Rhymes and the whole idea, the Matrix idea, is that you, you do feel something is wrong and you know these little tidbits of information that you find out um through the news and just talking to people but uh for me personally it was relationships that started the book and i didn't want to write a book that was just based on you know the stuff that we're discussing about freedom and, and awakening in that respect politically and 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 the corruption for instance um, otherwise, I just felt there would have been just rants that people would have just seen on Reddit and all these, you know, Telegram. And I didn't want to write a book that was just rants because that um, to me, that's not really a book. That's just sorry. I'm getting notifications. I don't know if you see that. No. no. <laughs> OK. Um, and so the fact that I was writing a book about um, relationships and and the the aftermath of the relationship and processing that. Well, that was the beginning, I would say, of, of the awakening, if you will. Because when you are brought to your knees in, in whatever way it is, and that could be a health issue, it could be relationships, and it could be work, it could be... But when you are 
down and out, if you will, you start to look at things a bit different. And that was the start of, of my book. And I, I was writing about heartbreak. Um, I was writing about writing, the writing process. <laughs> and I was making fun of myself, making fun of perhaps um, some other people's writing. And it was very, in, it was very mundane in some respect, uh, uh, egotistical. And that's why the first chapter is called Ego. But then you start to get into like breakups and, and then the processing of that. And then that's where I ended. And I was left there until pandemic happened. And like most people, well, many people, the pandemic opened my eyes to basically everything. And that's when I had to finish the book with my last few chapters and just kind of rearrange things. So it, it flowed in a way that that really lends to how I awoke. And everybody has their own story. Isn't it amazing? They have their own unique story about where they were or how they were feeling, what was going on, and then, pow, it hits them on the head, and everything becomes just so green-coated obvious, right? Yes. Like, flowing, and she's like, oh, my God. And so uh, that's that's the process of the book. And, and I hope people, when they read the book, they, they're not just looking for, you know, great great rhymes about, you know, the system and the government and, and all those things. And there is um, some great stuff in there. I hope people enjoy that part. But it's more of the whole the whole thing. And I think just like yourselves, probably, uh, you wanted to contribute to the battle, right? And we have to each have our own um, strengths in, in how we can fight the battle. And for me, it was written word. And this is my contribution to, to the battle, if you will. And along with going to rallies and, and protests about um, mandates and such things, um, of course, but my real strength lies in the words, and, and I wanted to contribute in some way. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that people, it, it gets to people, freedom-loving people, but also uh, the people that just need that little nudge, that nudge, you know? Yes. Because we, I feel like more people are waking up every day about what's happening. And hopefully this, this book lands in a few people's hands and, and they read it and they say, oh, my goodness. And they see where the whole progression, the progression line, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a beautiful answer that you gave. Um, was there like one specific thing that kind of like woke you up or like tipped the scale that you were like, oh, I get it now? I wonder how many people um, that you've talked to have probably similar stories, but uh, I'm going to say um, during the pandemic, when we're all locked down, I think all of us were very, well, many of us were kind of frightened. We didn't really understand. Um, although f for reasons I could say, I wasn't super scared of the virus. I was more scared of the consequences of what might be happening and, and feeling the sort of tyrannical arms coming down on us, if you will. Like I, I did feel, and that made me maybe get more fearful than the actual virus. And of course, you know, media blitzed us with the whole, like you're going to kill your grandmother stuff. And, and because we didn't, we weren't really faced with this kind of stuff. You kind of listened for a while. And then after maybe a month or two, you know, you're at home. For me, I was teaching at, teaching out of my, my home, you know, and you're just sitting at home, you know. And then 
what ultimately happened was I was watching the news and I watched Trump, who up until that point I was disgusted with in many ways and made fun of, just like everybody else, um, well, many others. And, and then I saw him literally show the media how they were lying in one of his interviews. I don't know if you remember that one, but he plays a two-minute clip of all the press lying and being hypocritical. And that's the whole, he comes up to the podium, plays the video of them being hypocritical and lying. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, what? And then immediately after, I went to CNN, and I saw how they framed it. They framed it as Trump wastes tax money on useless video. And then I knew what was going on. And I started to um, dive into everything about Trump first. And I saw how many lies I was being told about him. And then... I was just blown away at what I found, YouTubing things, researching things. And then I started to get into other things. And that's kind of where it all unfolded. And it was a crazy, crazy feeling. And again, I'm, I'm so thankful that I could write because at that time, you're kind of like, what the hell is happening with the world? And it's a very scary thought. Like, it's it just, it, it hits you so hard. And you can spiral so fast. And, in, and I felt I was spiraling in some moments. Um, and then thankfully the writing kind of kept me grounded. And, and, but it was amazing to see how every, so many people were under a spell of what was happening. And the truth was just there, but is being kept hidden. <laughs> so many truths and so many lies. And it was, and that's kind of how it unfolded for me. And, you know, you, so in some ways, Trump actually helped the awakening. Um, I know lots of people don't like him and some people love him. And I mm. think whether you love him or hate him, for many, he he actually woke inadvertently possibly, or maybe on purpose, so many people up because of the way he was speaking and taking down all these politicians with truth bombs. And it was... Sure, it was vulgar sometimes, and it was unprofessional. <laughs> and I was just—I I just couldn't believe that this. I mean, it felt like a movie. Like all of this stuff just felt like a movie. So it just—it just lended me to like, okay, hold on, let me just research this more. What's happening? What's going on? And I was a liberal for the longest time, actually. And my parents grew up liberal. You know, mm. first-gen immigrants coming into Canada. You know, that's all they knew. Liberal, the liberal government letting people into the country and, and, and helping them out. So you just grew up a liberal. In fact, I voted for Justin Trudeau twice. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Please. Please. Oh, my gosh. Regrets. Hashtag regrets. Oh, my gosh. But two times. Oh, my gosh. So that just shows you, like, I've been on the other end of it. And then you see what's happening and you just kind of shake your head and see uh, all this unfolding the way we think it's going. And um, that's kind of what lended to the waking up that, yeah. You know, I, I did want to ask you something and I'm not trying to put you on the spot with your job or anything because I don't want you to lose your job over coming on this podcast. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, 
was there any stuff that you can maybe get into if, if this is the case? Was there any stuff in the education field that started making you think that something was wrong prior? Like, you know how you're saying you started this book four years ago? Was there stuff that happened four years ago in your field that even started making you think that something isn't right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think um, you kind of took everything with a grain of salt and you kind of just um, kept your mouth shut a little bit and just said, you know what, like, it's all right. Like, we can kind of still, um, you know, navigate the waters with education. And um, But there, I don't know if there was a, a specific point where we could see that it leaned a certain direction and it's a slow creep, right? <laughs> like kind of a slow, slow thing. And, you know, it, it, we are definitely steered in one direction. Um, and the perfect example I think would be where, when we speak of, uh, the environment and if we're teaching the environment and, um, I think it's it's amazing the, the the technologies that have come out to, you know, help clean clean our oceans, for instance, like incredible stuff. And when we speak of that, that's amazing. And and we all should do our part to keep the environment clean. But I felt there were some times that uh, I wasn't possibly being shown the other side, and and then this has just become more evident over the years. And I think that uh, students should have various um, positions kind of shown to them. And the idea that the science is settled, for instance, is, is kind of uh, hypocritical. It's, it's paradoxical in, in many ways. And so, I love that word. But, That's perfect. Paradox. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an ongoing issue. Um, and how do I say this? Uh, like for instance, the one book that just came out about the, the batteries, cobalt, you probably saw it on Joe Rogan, the cobalt mines in Congo. Okay. So this may be rev revelations for many people that these precious metals and minerals are being mined, you know, in, in terrible conditions using child labor and slaves all so that we can go use electric vehicles and use our cell phones and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think something like that needs to be that sort of a balancing out of like, Hey, there's consequences for this as well. So we can, you know, work on clean emissions and in our cars and get batteries, but hold on a second there's also this side of it. And I think we should be able to educate students on that side of it as well. And I think sometimes the curriculum omits certain things like that. Um, and whether that's by design or not, I think um, we can all agree that child labor for batteries and it's not a good thing. And yeah. maybe that's new to, for instance, the curriculum, and they just didn't put it in there. But uh, I think that the other side of it is important to share to our students as well. And so they, they can, you know, make critical decisions and have 
critical thinking happen in the classroom. And even something like oil field workers, right? We, we, we emphasize, oh, we need to get off gas, you know, or oil and gas for, for emissions. But I don't necessarily know if the curriculum would then go, well, hold on a second. You also need to teach the fact that there would be a ton of jobs being lost in oil fields if we do this. And all subsidiary um, employment regarding that, right? So that's what I would say is that it leans in one direction and I think it's important that we, we show all sides of it. And that's just one issue that I could probably get into. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I understand that, that might've been a tough question. I was just hoping that's you, a, you that's can answer it the easiest, best that you could. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The easiest example uh, for, for, for discussion that I, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. a perfect way to say what you said, you know, you're only no, seeing one side of the story. I get that. It's yeah. funny um, that you use that example, Ravi, because my son's in grade five in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So I see it like in his work sometimes that he brings home right now. Like he had um, one of his classmates uh, got up in the class and said, like, Elon Musk is a hero. <laughs> and then I had a whole chat with him about, you know, where does um, cobalt and lithium come from for electric cars and is it really better for the environment and blah, blah, blah. And he even brought home another thing the other day, um, basically promoting, you know, plant-based diet, saying that it's healthier, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other debate. And I'm like, well, maybe not because of this, that, and the other. So, I mean, if you don't have a parent who's aware and interested in what their child's learning in school, like if I didn't ask him or happen to be like, helping him with his homework, I wouldn't know that that was being asked, you know, and I'm sure there's, there's bigger issues with gender and, um, sexuality and, and all that in schools, uh, as well. So that's a whole other thing. Right. Um, but also too, I wonder, Ravi, if like being, um, maybe when you were less aware of things, you didn't notice like agendas being pushed in curriculum Cause you were just like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to teach, which I think is like most teachers, honestly, they just think like, okay, this is the curriculum and it must be right because people designed it and <laughs> took time to think about what to put in. You know, I don't think they really like question it. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly how it went down. You just, you don't really question it because you think, okay, well, this is, this sounds great. They, they should learn about this. And, and for the most part, Actually, the curriculum does a good job. I mean, it's quite a bit, but uh, we have to get through. But it, it, for the most part, it does a good job. Uh, but you, like, again, you slowly see how, you know, public education is, and that, you know, this isn't something new for teachers to say, but it's, it's you know, we need more funding. We need more, we need more resources for uh, special education. And with the influx of immigration that we've had from, from you know countries like Syria and so forth, we 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 need more um, ESL teachers, and so that's one aspect to the funding part is is just it's grossly underfunded, and uh, you you know that's I'm not the first teachers is going to say that in terms of content though yeah you kind of just you walk through and you're like you agree but then as you start to question things, you doubt you you know you kind of research and and. You say, well, hold on a minute. Some things don't make sense. Um, 
and you look into it and that's when you have to kind of, okay, well, this is what they want taught and we're going to get the job done and you're going to do it as best you can. And if you can, you know, teach some more things that hopefully also resonate with students. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So the healthy food thing is another great example. You know, I just saw uh, the latest from the American food guidelines. I don't know if you saw that, where they showed that I think it was uh, Wheaties had more nutrition and was on the scale better for you. They had a rating scale than ground beef. What? Right. So they had put Wheaties above ground meat and they had put something else in front of eggs as well. And it's so obvious, like if you just research, eggs is one of the healthiest foods, especially from a farm. The healthiest foods, the most complete protein you could have. And so for them to say some sort of processed food is better than an egg, like it just, it's mind blowing to then be able to then, so I can only imagine what American teachers would look at this guideline and have to teach this and how many are swallowing their pride a little bit and saying, ugh. Wheaties, like, yeah, go out and get your Wheaties instead of eggs. Like, I'm not sure. And it's also proven that, you know, with nutrition, it, it, it's such an ongoing um, field of research. How can you, how can you be so rigid in the way you're supposed to um, not only implement it with how you eat, but then teach it? It, it you know, they. So we, I try to do my best to teach it and then go beyond. When we talk about gut health, you know, and probiotics, and we talk about stress a lot and how that affects your gut. We, we do talk about, you know, the, the downsides of factory farming. But at the same time, we do also talk about, um, you know, local farms and how the nutrition in meat is actually really good for you. And um, one of the most complete proteins you can have, for instance. And so you'll try to line that up with things like, well, you know, look at look at the diets that indigenous would eat, you know, up north. And that would be primarily meat. Well, how do they survive if meat's bad for you? Right. So we kind of look at, well, their their meat's wild caught, you know. And then maybe their bodies are more accustomed to that through, through genetics. So we try to, I try to, I know that's a lot for my grade, but we, we try to jump on, on a lot of different topics and kind of give them a more broad scope along with the, the details from the curriculum. Um, so that's the way to sort of, in my eyes, um, give them the most complete education um, so that's kind of those are just two topics: the environment and food, and and yeah, there are there are some issues surrounding um, gender studies and 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 um, in a, in our health studies, our health curriculum. But that doesn't like the there are there are teachers that are definitely uncomfortable with that, and there are lots of parents that are uncomfortable with that. So that's not something that's. Uh, you know, hidden, for instance, it's, it's very, it's very, and when you have so many students coming in from various countries, uh, especially uh, Muslim countries, well, there is some objection to 
this type of education. And so we have to, we have to um, cater to that. And so the objection to this isn't really just about, say, freedom fighters or just freedom fighters, let's say. There's objections, pockets of objections in, in kind of in the whole community about that. Um, but for the most part, you know, it, it just goes through and, and you teach what you have to teach. But, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the gender stuff in general is not pushed as hard, at least here in Ontario. I mean, in some schools, probably more than others, but than what I'm seeing on like social media in the U.S., let's say, for example. It feels like there is more of a conservative view on that here. Or maybe parents are just more vocal about it. I don't know what it is, but it well, does seem a little bit different here so far. Well, if you probably heard about the one teacher um, who got cut off in one of those meetings, um, she went viral because she was sharing um, a book that was in our libraries that was quite sexual in nature. Yes. Um, and so the idea that you would cut speech off is, to me, the alarming part. Um, but uh, that's sort of a, a whole other a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like very stifled in your like workplace as you started to become more aware of things? Did you feel like isolated, you know, from like your colleagues and stuff? I think in terms of conversations around all things such as, um, you know, mandates and uh, health pass and status and, and just the origins of, you know, COVID and, and, and all those things. Yeah, for sure. There, there was some bit of that, although I would argue that um, there are many that were actually quite awake to this, but kind of just followed along and was, were not really interested in, let's say, um, rocking the boat. And I understand that, too, because as school, you, you really you don't want the staff to be at ends with each other um, because everyone's working really hard together and, and trying to get through uh, this terrible time. And it's, and it really is for the kids. So imagine like, you know, being in, in disputes and arguments with staff, it just, it wouldn't be a very good positive environment um, for the staff, but then also the students who are also going through such a tough time and a big adjustment. Uh, so for the most part, I would say those discussions were kept out of school and kind of just just like the rest of society um, divided and um, you know just amongst your crowd is what you would have going on and not so much in the school. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I had a big um, kind of awakening moment like when schools were shut down the first time in 2020, because I realized that at least in my children's school, um, the teachers were not as maybe caring as you seem to be. Um, like a lot of it was just, you know, they didn't really put an effort into the distance learning, like the online learning. I became very disillusioned with the system, appealing to the principal. Nobody seemed to care like that. This is really shitty. And they just were doing like the bare, bare, bare minimum. 
like uh, emailing work home. Like, can we have a video? My kid is like kindergarten and like eight years old. Like they just needed to be more involvement. It very much became like, I'm just emailing you worksheets and you just give this to your kid. So that was like my experience in our school. And I know not all schools were the same. I had friends, uh, children's schools doing a lot more. So it seemed, um, so I became very disillusioned. I actually pulled my kids out of school for two years. Okay. Yeah. So they did, um, I homeschooled them one year myself and then I had them in, um, like a learning pod for a year and now they're back in school, like the regular school, uh, where they were before. But, uh, yeah, it was a very, like, honestly, very traumatic for me as a mother. Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> and I, just, I give her a lot of credit just from some of the stuff she told me she had to go through with that. I'm just like, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <really> um, <laughs> but it would have been nice to have more teachers like yourself who seem to be like, you know, more supportive or at least making an effort, you know, to support your kids online, um, you know, making it as smooth as possible. It was you know? a really difficult uh, time to, for many teachers, mm. perhaps not as tech savvy as others. And, and so there's a lot of fly by night trying to learn as much as possible, getting all these apps loaded on and trying to figure this mm. out. It was a difficult difficult task for for educators i have heard stories um from different boards and different parents and even different teachers that um you know things weren't optimal (laughs) if you want to say and uh, uh but when we started to get the hang of it, it it did run a bit better but the the engagement level is 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 totally different so I don't think, I think we can all agree kids need to be in school and uh, because it was just a difficult time for them. Like I said, the engagement level uh, was just, it, it fell off um, the track there for, for some students. And so I can't speak to other teachers, but we did our, we certainly did our best. Many teachers did their best for sure. Yeah. Almost everyone did, but I know that can't be the case just for math. But uh, I think this this type of age group, I would say, really any under under ten or eleven, uh, is is much better suited for in class, and that is evident this year because the kids have more freedom to um, play sports, extracurriculars, you know, Lego clubs, and all these different things where we didn't have to wash down everything, sanitize everything, you know, like you can imagine. So the kids love it. So actually it's been a great year coming back um, because they do, I think they do miss school. They miss their friends. They, and yes, they actually miss their teachers too. So um, it's, it's been an amazing year and thankfully uh, we haven't had too much disruption really. Um, We haven't had any, except for the odd snowstorm or whatever, but <laughs> it's, you can just tell that they love being back. And I mean, I don't think anybody enjoys wearing masks. And, and so when you see students without them and you see the smiles and you see teacher smiles, I mean, it's a big thing. And if, you know, if they want to wear a mask, they can. But I think what's amazing too, is the, t- the teachers now can 
you know, they don't, they're encouraged to, but they don't have to. And I think it's, it goes a long way when they see a smile from a teacher and you may not be able to see the smile underneath their mask, but if they see yours, um, that's huge. Uh, that, that's been, because I know of many teachers in the last few years that got disillusioned by all this for sure. And the, the amount that I know many had to take, take some, you know, taking leave of absences and, and, you know, of course, illnesses and, and all that, but just stress leaves. And it's tough because you have to not only adjust to your teaching style and go do this thing that is completely new. And then they're, you know, they're at home, there's kids and pets and all these distractions. Like it, it's difficult. And yet you still feel this responsibility like, oh, I got to get through the curriculum. They got to learn this. And yet they're not because of maybe what's happening and that it's not going through properly and all the, all the disruptions and the lack of engagement possibly. And, you know, and parents are home and things are at home and it, it's tough. It was tough. So I think many are, are really happy to be back. And I, I'm included uh, in that for sure. I, I, I do really love what I do and I love being back. That's awesome. That I is, love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. It varies a lot. Varied a lot by school, I feel. Um, but it is so nice like to have my kids just back in their regular routine and not have like like for me this year I was like, I don't want to keep making decisions out of fear as much as I'm not fearful of like the virus or you know, certain things. I think a lot of decisions I made was out of fear of like other consequences. So like, I didn't want them masked, but I was afraid that no one at the school is going to support me in that, or a doctor's not going to support me in that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was afraid of mandates for them for, you know, pokey stuff. Um, you know, so all these decisions I made was, in the spirit of freedom but also in the spirit of fear and this year i just wanted to stop that and i was like no they just need to go do their regular thing um and just be with other children going through the same experience as them whether that that comes with highs and lows for sure but at least generationally they all are going through it together i mean not to say that you want your kids in a shitty situation i don't regret pulling them out for the two years because I actually do see a difference between them and some of their peers in how they view things and um, health wise too, honestly, like not being masked for two years is beneficial right? for them, uh, even just health wise. But um, it would have been nice to have a teacher like you. <laughs> That's for sure. Oh my God. Okay. Um, do you see a difference in the kids like level of, um, uh, interest or like attention span now, like post, uh, COVID, I guess. Uh, are they I, pretty like resilient and have like bounced back to normal? Here there was definitely some adjustments that I think the attention spans, um, were, were low. Um, and they just, you know, they had to go through so much too. We, we sometimes forget about that, you know, and, and, and see the world through their eyes. And it's a lot. They took on a lot. You know, we were doing things this year that they had no idea. For instance, you know, something like, uh, okay, everybody, we're lining up for an assembly. And some of the kids were like, what's an assembly? Right? Yeah. And I think even last year when we were back at school, you know, okay, we're going to practice for track and field. What's track and field? Like they had not done it. Because for two years it was canceled or whatever. Yeah. And just kind of were like, 
okay, let's let's bust this back. We can like throw it back, right? And so, uh, yeah, I think we once we got into a routine, routine, and and they, you know, they understood, you know, the responsibilities, and they the gaps have there were certainly gaps, and there's lots of gaps that we and and the government, the Ontario government would be the first to tell you that this is why they're offering you know, subsidies for getting tutors and such. So they know there's gaps that exist because of the last two years. Um, but thankfully, from from my experience, it hasn't been, in my experience, as massive from a content um, standpoint. It's more just uh, a mental and um, sort of that, that, that ability to, to be strong and and uh, self-esteem and and just fear and anxiety those types of things that probably were definitely exacerbated during that time and that's what that's probably the biggest gap is like you just have you have to really show them uh the comfort and and bring them back to a place of harmony that way the content i feel just the way technology is going it's, it's just insane. And so the kids are, are, are mind-boggling good at things like coding, right, which is, like, unreal. It, and, and some things they do blow me away on in, in how, to, how to build and how to construct and the technology aspect of it. And so the content-wise, yeah, sure, the, the basics were kind of lost, printing skills. You know, we'll get it back. Um, so we've had to sort of, uh, in my experience, Again, scale back, and or not scale back, but go back to basics to get them there and spend a little bit more time on that as opposed to the far-reaching stuff. And that's fine because if they can get the basics back and get going, the far-reaching stuff won't be so far. Um, so that's what that's what been my focus and many other teachers' focus this year is is really getting back to basics and so that they can – they can have the ability to, to learn the way they should. That's awesome. Yeah. I like the way you, I can see that making sense. Like not being there, you know, let's say for like a whole, almost a whole school season or whatever. For one, I think it only takes 30 to 90 days to make something a habit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like doing something constantly, it's going to become a habit like pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. So like one that's already become a habit to do what they've done and like, I could see it makes sense that it's like uh, the things that you wouldn't think about that you have to do when you're actually in a physical school building. Right. You're going to have to actually <clears throat> relearn again or actually learn in the first time. You know what I'm saying? Like those things, like you even said, the printing. Like, you know, the kid doesn't know how to print in school because neither they've been doing it at home or their mom's parents have been doing it for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, computer. Yeah, yeah. Like, I never mm-hmm. thought about that. Just even like the skills of stuff that you would have to, you know, Cutting paper, if they even still use that cutting board in school. You know what I'm saying? Just like stupid little stuff like that. Our class, like, how did you, you know? No word of a lie. No word of a lie. I know students um, that did not use scissors. I was going to say a stapler or scissors, but I wasn't oh, sure if it got that bad. Yeah, yeah, see, that's why that's why I pulled them out because that's the stuff that I focused on at home was like, like at the time, um, my kids were grade two and junior kindergarten. So I was like, listen, they don't need to know how to use Google Classroom and, you know, be on an iPad. They need to, like, write. 
Like I even taught my older one cursive, which they don't even teach in school anymore. I taught him cursive, uh, like multiplication of like my little guy, just like, yeah, like kindergarten stuff, you know, basic skills that they need. And I can totally appreciate how difficult it would have been for teachers um, trying to make the effort on the other end. But to me, that was more important. And I'm glad that I did that and actually put them even like how people were like, you know, staying indoors and stuff. I put them in nature school. I had them outside, like, please get your microbiome like boosted. (laughs) Let's get all the good bacteria in you and play with worms and dirt and shit and like go run in the forest. It was honestly like, it was a cool experience looking back. It was a a special time because we, I did what I could for them, but um, yeah, (laughs) back to basics for sure. And I see it too, especially my little one, as much as I tried to teach him printing and stuff, his printing still sucks. Real bad compared to like where my older one was sure. at that age, right? Because he was consistently in school. It's uh, a, it's a, it's an interesting balance with with the tech and the printing. Like I don't actually know how how long before printing's not needed. That's the scary uh, part, right? Which does, uh, he is like, no, please stop. But the idea that because some of the kids were showing me shortcuts on, you know, laptop. <laughs> voice to text on different things like oh i can just like say it I'm, oh my god yes. they don't even want to type it uh, <laughs> yeah they don't even want to type it now they just yeah. want to voice it actually that's interesting you brought that up because i was speaking to one mom at our school and her son does that he has a a laptop that he brings he's a grade three mm-hmm. and he does voice to text because she says that he can't write yeah and i was like what I'm like, but you're, he still needs like the rote skill. Like, I don't care. You need to know how to do that. Whether they end up, you know, in their professional life, writing a lot or not mm-hmm. physically is not the issue. You still need those skills for like brain development, neuroplasticity, like. Sure. Well, hopefully can, they, they those ex- should never go away. Hopefully by the time the kid's 18, DMV accepts voice to text because then you can't even fill out your own driver's license paperwork. Right. Like, yeah. what? like what the fuck? Not? Yeah. yeah. No, it was. How are you going to sign anything if you don't know how to write? It was wild to me uh, what she was saying. She's like, "Well, you know, Teresa, they're not going to know how to. They're not going to need to know how to print." And I was like, "Pardonnez-moi, like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm still pretty sure they need to know that, but there's, okay." And there's circumstances that, um, for sure, their students will need laptops to because the motor skills aren't there for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I can be, I can be empathetic to to definitely those those students that, you know, yes. you, you want to know what they're thinking, but they can't necessarily print it out, and so you this is how we provide accessibility and we give them a laptop, and at least you know, okay, they know what we're talking about and they can communicate what they're thinking, and and so there are circumstances in that in that case, but yes, sure. I know, like <laughs> yeah. I. I'm worried about where this is going for sure. Uh, but I try to do a healthy balance. Like some of the stuff we learned on distance ed, you know, with the technology, we still use in the classroom. So we have Chromebooks now in the classroom that we use, you know, quite often because this is where the world is going. And they do need to understand, you know, um, how to pull up information. They need to know how to type. They need to, you know, use all these different apps, but we also do the basics too. A perfect example would be like, there's this little program called Jamboard. Um, And while I could write something 
or get students to come up and write something on the board, let's say a spelling word, for instance, if we're coming up with spelling words that end in, I don't know, or have the, the same sound as man that rhyme with man, let's just say. Okay. Well, I could do that, or I could pull up a Jamboard, invite them all with a Google link, they go on their Chromebook, and they find the word on it, and they write it on a sticky note, typing it, and they attach it to this app, and we can all see everybody's words in real time. And I'm like, okay, well, they're not printing, but at least like they're seeing all these people come up with amazing words, and so we still use that. Um, and yet, when we do their spelling words, Okay, guys, now it's time to print it out. Let's go. (laughs) Breaking down the words. So there is a balance needed, but we can't avoid, unfortunately, we can't avoid where this is going. And so we we tried, well, for me, I try to do a healthy balance um, with the basics, the ground ground game, but also adding some tech too, because this is just the way it is, unfortunately, as much as we want to kind of slow this down. I mean, we look at this chat, have you seen this chat PNG or GPD app that does all the, um, the AI stuff? Nice. Have you guys seen it? I haven't, I haven't used it now. You just download this app and you literally could say, write an essay on Edgar Allan Poe. And literally in like a minute or two, it will churn out an essay for you on Edgar Allan Poe. That's how powerful. Oh. Wow. Or you could say, um, you know, provide a, you know, a reason why we should, I don't know, uh, have plants in the home. And then like, it will just, it, it, it spews out anything you want. The app is insane and it's free and you just type in what you want done. And this is actually a big, um, you know how hard it would prove it would be to prove that somebody even plagiarized that. Cause like, what if it doesn't spit out the same thing for everybody's question? Even if they ask the same answer. Okay, and this is this is the crazy part. This is a pretty so once you get that essay, and so professors, and this is actually a big topic now in in, in um, the scholar world and, and education, and even the creative world, because I can say write a poem on sunsets or write a poem on depression. Uh. It will turn out a poem in seconds, and I can just use that, and nobody would know that that's. AI that did that. So this yeah. is a big topic. It's going to be a huge topic going forward. But um, just for what you were saying there, you could say write an essay on, I don't know, the benefits of, <clears throat> I, I don't know, using whatever. It could be anything. I, now I'm drawing a blank. But uh, <laughs> let's just go with electric cars. Sure. And they would turn out an essay for you. And that's rather simple. But then you could say, okay, now make that essay even better, and it will make it better for you. What? Isn't that wild? Whoa. You imagine what this could be in five years, even two years, when people start keep putting inputs and inputs in it, and so it starts to just get mass, more massive and massive. Like I'm telling you, if you ever, if you just Google it and look at it, and, and see what people are saying, it will blow your mind. Yeah, I gotta check this out. Man. This whole thing. <laughs> have you seen those, um, that art that art trend that was going around, the avatars people were the making? selfies, yeah. Right, and that was using AI. 
but the the whole idea behind it is that they're actually pulling every picture from the internet, including artists, and creating art for you as your avatar. And so, is that plagiarism, or is it just borrowing? It's like, well, artists are an mm-hmm. evil here. It's like I just spent hours on a painting, or even a digital art piece, and you just said you just pushed a button. There's apps out there that will say, okay, what do you want in your art piece? Like trees, lake, click, boom. It'll create the piece for you. And people are putting that up on Instagram. And, you know, they're not crediting AI. They're just saying, you know, art. And that brings in people. I'm like, oh, my God, this art is so amazing. Well, click the button to make it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's scary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really, really scary. Like what? And yeah, in terms of academia, like we talk about, you know, students in the university, let's say, who had to make, you know, write essays about whatever. Well, let's say about even like a book report in high school. You write a book report on Fahrenheit 451. Like how? Mm. I feel like um, we may have to come up with other ways of evaluating things then, you know, because even if you use the chat bot to, you know, write your essay or your book report where's the learning you didn't learn anything right like you as the individual so there's always going to be people who want to learn and people who don't care so we need to like evaluate that in another way perhaps definitely right like i don't know well i remember in high school you know doing exams or, or in university and like your english exam like how how if you can't have your device with you and then the teacher's asking you to break down the symbolism in Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Well, fuck. <laughs> you have your AI, you know, chatbot with you. What are you going to do? If you actually read the book and did the work, then you'll be able to answer the question, right? Yeah. In some, mm-hmm. see how people could benefit. Like, we've already started using Grammarly and all these <laughs> things, right? Make cover letters. But you could just say, make a cover letter for this company or whatever. And then it's done. The second. You just put your name in, done. I hate writing cover letters. That might be useful. Please. <laughs> well, it just saves a lot of time for something that maybe you would consider mundane, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. But yes. for, yeah, you're right. Something's got to change because, like, if you write a book report or, you know, a thesis even, who knows? Maybe it does a thesis. Like, you just – and it does it for you. Like, it's just wild. You're going to have to come up with other ways for grading and – that may be something like this. It's like, okay, I read your book report. Awesome. And now I'm going to ask you five random questions. So let's go. And then you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you might have to like double evaluate or I could even see, um, you know, having writing time for research and writing for an essay in class only no devices. Right. You know, or like something like this. I don't know. This is, that's fucked. <laughs> like, it, there's it, so many applications. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think it's wild. Like I'm sure it probably comes up with marketing plans. Like you say, marketing plan for, you know, 16 year old video games or whatever. Like whatever. It probably does like everything. I haven't looked at it, but I've just seen people talk about it. It's a bit wild, and and it's crazy where our world is going. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it scares me because we actually did an episode on a AI chatbot called Replica. Okay. Remember that. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like where does it pull this information from is that it was a little bit eye-opening like when yeah. we when we dove into it and I, I don't necessarily think it's from like a good place 
Very weird. Right? Very weird. And even Elon, like I believe he he said the biggest threat is going to be AI in the future, and uh, that sounds about right. Like I I don't I don't know anybody who's scared about nuclear weapons. Do you? Like I don't. I'm not worried about. By the time you're worried about it, we're toast anyway. Yeah, but, no, I think it, you're right though. A lot of people have been worrying about AI lately, thinking yeah, it's going it, a little AI, bit too far. Which is crazy because then you look back at these movies that you watch as a kid and you're like, what the hell? Terminator 2 and, you know, obviously The Matrix and you're just kind of like, what the hell is going on? Yo, for at least 20 or 30 years, I'd say easily we've been told about this stuff in movies already. It just seems sci-fi and fantasy. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like you said, even look back at The Terminator. How old is that? And that's already showing us that AI was going to be a problem. Yeah, I think that was (laughs) nine. something 92 or something yeah, that's what i'm saying yeah that yeah. shit was old and it was telling us stuff now that people are like oh you know this ai might be a problem no shit <laughs> yeah but then the people who tell us it's a problem are the people investing in creating it. <laughs> that's what i don't get even especially you know and I, i'm not to harp on the guy but even with elon musk he has said himself messing with ai is like the magician standing in the pentagram with his cup of water and his wand in his hand thinking he's controlling a demon he says they're not and right. now you've said that, and you're Mr. AI. I'm, I'm a little confused. What's going on then? It's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Isn't it fascinating too? And when we talk about the whole uh, the past few years, like I have a distrust for almost everything now. Like I don't trust anyone <laughs> unless, like, I, I could be standing in front of someone, and then I would like, okay, I, let me just research you. Like, uh, like, like I don't trust anyone, um, especially anyone who's governing. And these people in charge of big companies, like, I just don't trust anyone. And I always try to research now and try to figure out, okay, where, where are they going with this? Where's the money going? Follow the money, all this stuff. It, I don't know if that's with you guys too, but I, I, I can't let anybody go now. You know how back in the day you could just be like, oh, cool. You know, they invented <laughs> this. Okay. Or they're doing this. Or, hey, they're running the company. Awesome. Okay, cool. Now it's like, no, who is this person? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to find out their background and what they're all about before yeah. you even like, you know, buy anything that they're saying, right? We talked about with the Great Awakening, right? This whole movement, right? And this is why I think no politician now going forward is going to be sort of off the hook. And so in some ways, even though they're, you know, and they're in these positions of power, I think so many people are just awake to what's happening that they're on them 24-7. And, and, and this is why censorship is such a big issue for me is because things like Twitter and, and, and social media and, and, you know, whatever other things that you telegram, those things need to be open for us to be able to communicate with each other and share these types of things. And there's no, it's not a mystery on why they want to censor all this stuff. It's because they're being watched 24 seven now with all this technology and yet they don't want it to be seen. So, it's fascinating what they're trying to do with all these different bills that are going through in Canada, censorship bills, which is frightening to me. Um, and especially for someone who's so big on free speech as a writer, as a poet, like this is, this is something that really uh, is affects me and scares me about where this is going, because you should be allowed to, as long as you're not spreading hate, quote unquote, then you should be allowed to kind of just communicate your thoughts and your opinions and share. And what they're doing is they're blurring definitions of hate and into that fits everything. And 
and that means opposition, opposing thought is just hate speech. And this is this is Orwellian to me. This is absolutely Orwellian to me, and it's glaring now more than ever. And that's one of the reasons I I had to to write this book too. That's awesome. I can totally relate to that. That's why I started uh, speaking out just on my own social media as well. Like in uh, April 2020 is when I started Um, because that's what tipped me off first. I have a media background. So I was like, whoa, as soon as I started seeing things being censored, uh, you know, information, opinions, whatnot, I was like, this is bigger than what they're saying. Uh, And the censorship to me is like a huge a huge issue. So I appreciate your, you know, your work. <laughs> do you want, do you have like a favorite uh, poem from the book that you could read to us maybe? Oh yeah, I got a few. Um, it was hard to choose actually, but um, if I can read a couple, that would be yeah. great. I yeah, was going to ask, but I didn't know if you wanted to. I was going to ask you that at the end if you wanted to. I tipped maybe. him off before. I was like, have your book handy. <laughs> Good, man. Awesome. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> really cool. Um, it's such a, a crazy feeling to have it in your hands um, as somebody who's always wanted to to write and publish as a dream come true to just even have this. I didn't really care if anyone bought it, but, um, you know, I'm kind of lying there. I, I enjoy I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy when people read it like we write. We write because we want people to read it. I don't I don't want to write it to constantly read it myself. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I enjoy that people are, are enjoying it. Um, just to go back to what you were saying was um, about uh, get, you know going back to basics and getting dirty. So that reminded me of one of the poems that I actually have. I'm gonna read. All right, here we go. Ride the wave of thick mud and sludge. The fall may just be your waking up. Your head and ego submerged in gunk. But beauty isn't everything, even grunge, like listening to Nirvana unplugged. The cuts, bruises, and scars are worth ingesting the grit, soil, and worms. A speckled smile as you found the cure through the beneficial bacteria and germs. Your spill brought you closer to earth. Eat dirt. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) And then... I'll have, um, let's see here, for our freedom lovers out there, I suppose. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Government and three-letter agencies forcefully defined, assigned opposing voices as lies and hate crimes. Big tech censored and branded people who defied, tattooed them with digital codes to keep them confined. While the media casts spells on them to further malign, a state-sponsored spoon feeds food to a hungry child. Watch desperate mothers cry, whispering all the while, there, there, it's good for you. Eat all your words and comply. Alphabet soup. Wow. Yo, Yo, that that one was damn. (laughs) Thanks. Yo, that was damn. Bro, he brought the heat. He brought the heat. That was really fucking good, man. And I like how you do it. I like how you do it. Like, it, it doesn't come, like you said, from a rant. No, no, actually. You know, you know my influences, like, are Orwell and Huxley and, and um, you know, Fahrenheit 451. Like, these are my most animal farm. These are my favorite books. And so, 
they don't rant. You know, none of it's explicitly telling it to your face. It's more, it's done in a story. And you hope, I mean, I don't know the intentions of those authors, but um, I hope that these words kind of, you know, bring thought to to what's happening and and maybe has causes a person to kind of reflect and think about it in in the world that we live in and perhaps you know that will nudge them in a certain direction i don't know or or maybe not um but Mm. i i am a storyteller at heart so i i don't like of course i like ranting on other things like social media but for now in terms of the writing like I, i i try to stay away from that i really enjoy telling a story um and so yeah, my Instagram is is laid out like that too. I, I post my my poems there, and there's some artwork that um, is from my sister, but also, uh, you know, uh, I got from the internet and and I cite those artists. But and and it's laid out for you in in storytelling mode, and and so I, I love that. I'm a storyteller at heart. So I I know these days in the creative world, short pieces are what people really like and that's all they can really give attention to or just these short snippet poems or, or things to read. But I can't do that. I'm a storyteller and I need to, to share the words. And, and I hope my hope is that people take the time and, and read the poems because they're always going to be rewarded by the end. Always. If you just stick with it um, because movies, I love movies too. Don't talk to me about celebrities, but the actual film <laughs> I do love. And so, uh, I try to incorporate some like interesting twist endings and some really like thought provoking ideas by the end of each one. So thank you for providing the platform again, just to, to share. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I think that's like a perfect place to end it. You know, with you having read those, I loved the last one. Especially. Yeah, that, that was, was awesome. Awful bed soup, bitch. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, we'll obviously provide a link for the book too in the show notes. Yeah, it's on Amazon um, everywhere. So, and um, it's priced really aggressively. It kind of sucks that Amazon takes so much of the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I priced it really aggressive. I just want it out there. I want I want it out there to the right people, and and hopefully, it, it, and it has done pretty well actually. I'm I'm kind of shocked, uh, but it's it's nice. It's a nice holiday That's great, surprise. Man. That's great. Instagram is RK Gandhi and um, you know I I just hope people uh, connect and you know message and reach out and and enjoy the work really no I think that's great you know and I I, I have had on my show and the cult rejects I have had people on that have written books and I, I really do love getting people on that do that because a book is not something you said yourself and anybody else that I know that has written a book uh, normally has taken a few years there is a lot of time, effort, and passion into writing a book. That is a piece of art to that person. That yeah. is an extension of that person, honestly. I think a book. And that takes a lot of time, effort, courage, and patience and passion to do. So I appreciate you even coming on because I know there's all that going behind the book. So there's something special in there. Oh, you know thank you. Just like the passion that you show with this, right? The, with the podcast. It's just two different things. Someone you write, I do video and audio, but you write. It's right. There is so much work to be put in that. I, I appreciate and and like you know. I can appreciate uh, stuff like that. Yeah, it's this. It's a wild time right now. 
with you know just how everything's so fast and i don't think people understand like even just for you guys the audio and the video and and you know the tonality that you need to put in and the, and the mm. question to, to get your interview going and make them you know thought provoking it's the same way with writers and even the drawings and artists and you know everything it, it just takes time and I, I don't think people truly fully understand you know because you lay the poems out for me on instagram they'll read them and it's like gone to the next person you know gone to the next thing like you don't i don't know if people realize that that took literally hours to construct with multiple edits and same with this book like i i can't i can't even tell you how many edits i had to go through even i'm sure you know, the minute like so many edits that i had to get through and and to make it really a top quality i wanted an experience when people and even when they pick it up you know especially for the freedom fighters out there you know reading it and holding it on a bus or a train or at a cafe I never thought of that like i want people to go wait a sec what are you reading there you know and i know us i know our freedom fighting crew we're itching to explain and talk <laughs> you'll see someone reading that book you'll be like oh did you hear or did you know <laughs> it'd be a great conversation starter too for people to absolutely see that. i would see someone reading that on the bus and i'd google like the book like, yeah i would be doing the same thing well, let me check this out what are they reading <laughs> yeah well i appreciate again i appreciate the platform so much well, hell yeah. yeah no of course thank you for absolutely coming i think that's perfect like what you guys just said both of you because that's something that like ai can never replace is no. like that, you know, that human process of creating something, taking a thought from your mind and then going through the process of like putting it out there, you know, to the world and creating in whatever, whatever mode you create in, whether it's art, writing, audio, video, uh, crafting, like it doesn't matter. It, it, AI will never replace the human element. Even in those selfies, it's like something is lacking. It's hard to pinpoint what it is exactly, but it's like the soul. Of I was going to say the soul's like the soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah that's sure. amazing. And you Very nailed well it. Said. That's soul. That's it. Yeah. So keep the soul alive. Read Red Pill Rhymes. Get it. We'll put the link below to it and uh, connect with Ravi on Instagram. I love his page. That's how I found him. So, you know, thank you so much, Ravi, for joining us. Thank you, guys. You know, thank, thank you. you. For real. Yes. Ciao. We'll see you in the next one. <laughs>